Hi, weather friends. Welcome to the Girls Who Chase podcast, stories of women in weather and storm chasing. I'm Jen. I'm a storm chaser and science communicator, and I'll be your host. Girls Who Chase is a new initiative that empowers and inspires girls and women around the world to pursue the sciences, the weather, and their passions. On this podcast, we'll bring you the badass female and female-identified voices of the storm-chasing weather and science community to raise and tackle some real-life tough questions and issues and identify solutions and paths forward. You can find out more about what we're doing at girlswhochase.com. Now, on to the show. Ginger Z, who likely needs little introduction to this audience is the chief meteorologist at ABC News, reporting on the nation's weather for Good Morning America and across ABC News broadcasts and digital platforms. She's also the managing editor of the Climate Unit at ABC. Ever since joining ABC, Ginger, an Emmy Award winner, has covered almost every major weather event and dozens of historic storms. She broadcasted from the devastated Jersey Shore during Hurricane Sandy, the Colorado floods and wildfires, and covered the aftermath from tornadoes in Moore and El Reno, Oklahoma. In 2018, she was in the eye wall of Category 5 Hurricane Michael, live in the Florida Panhandle, and in the 2020 hurricane season, she told the stories of devastation from the record number of named storms. Ginger has storm chased since college and has a genuine passion for the atmosphere and a dedication to getting young people interested in science. She's the author of a trilogy for 8- to 12-year-olds called Chasing Helicity. She's also the author of two best-selling memoirs, Natural Disaster and A Little Closer to Home, which feature her life and mental health journey. In this conversation, Ginger and I discussed all things women in chasing, including her path to an esteemed weather broadcast career where she continues to chase for ABC, including covering the March 22nd severe weather event in Louisiana and Mississippi. We also chatted about the Not A Weather Girl campaign she has championed, her passion for engaging women in STEM, and her thoughts on how Girls Who Chase can support ongoing efforts around raising visibility of female storm chasers. So, Ginger Z, thank you so much for joining us today for the Girls Who Chase podcast. I'm so glad to be here, and I have fresh And by fresh, I mean four-day-old chase hair. So Yeah, I know. (laughs) Turned out to be quite timely. So I'm looking forward to talking about that, too. Um, So let's start, I think, with the origin, um, just to put this story together a little bit. So talk to me about the origin of your interest in weather and meteorology and, and really when that started for you. Like almost every meteorologist, I fell in love with it as a child. Uh, mine came from spending time on Lake Michigan one summer. Um, we had the opportunity because my mom was dating a guy who had a place on Lake Michigan, which is amazing because we would have never probably had the access to see for miles and miles without obstruction. But every single day for an entire summer, my brother and I played on the beach on Lake Michigan or on that deck. And I was able to observe, you know, and observation is where I think anybody could fall in love and at least be uh, have a peaked interest when you see storms. It was also a stormy summer. So I was fortunate to have many days that I could observe. And it's not like I was going to a journal and writing it down, but I think mentally I was just kind of taking notes. And I was curious because a lot of times I'd see the same looking types of storms. And my mom would say, there's storms coming, gotta get inside. And then sometimes they wouldn't hit at all. And sometimes they would go north of us. And sometimes they would bring 60 mile per hour winds. 
And so I knew that there was a puzzle going on and I wanted to put together that puzzle and that puzzle is our atmosphere. And so when I got back to third grade, which would have been the next age, I just remember vividly um, thinking, how do I put that puzzle together? Well, my best resource is the library and the encyclopedia because we had that set of encyclopedia in our class. And uh, I always like to put the caveat in case young people are listening, encyclopedias are like Google, but books. So it was a great place to be able to grab you know, the weather sections of tornado, hurricane. Once I started doing it, you started reading other things and it would lead you somewhere else. And it was this fun kind of uh, choose your own adventure of weather because I really didn't know anything yet, except for sometimes it's sunny, sometimes it's rainy and sometimes it snows. And that became a passion, just figuring it out, loving it. I would not say though, that I thought, you know what? I know what I want to do. You know, I I had seen people on TV doing weather, but I definitely didn't want to do that. Um, and here I am. I, I knew that I liked it and that was it. And I don't even think I asked a lot of questions. I think I just kind of had this, um, some semi-secret love affair with the atmosphere. And, and then it took, um, seeing the movie Twister, which is also not a unique story. Uh, but Helen Hunt showed me because representation matters that a woman could be a kick-ass scientist leading a storm chase you know, in, in researching. And I was like, oh my gosh, it was as if someone handed that to me because that's what I had been looking for for the last eight years. And then I had that image and I said, I'm going to go find a school where they, you know, let me do this. Cause I started seeing that some schools had storm chase programs that following year, right before I graduated, or it was the, the end of my junior year. Uh, Cause it was 98. Yeah. Um, there was a derecho in West Michigan. And it was, you know, 130 mile per hour winds. People were killed. People were injured. Uh, The town and the movie theater where I saw Twister was wrecked. And that triple emphasized that I was obsessed. And that is the first time I remember really kind of keying into the broadcast part of it and saying, well, that's interesting that they were on TV before it happened. And then they were talking about it after. I thought that was cool, but I still didn't want to do it. Um, so when I went to Valparaiso, I chose that school because they had a storm chase program and because I got a scholarship. <laughs> and they, you know, Bart Wolf, who's a who professor there and he lent and has led the chasing program forever. He really sold it. And he was like, yeah, come with us. You're going to learn more about the atmosphere than you'll ever know. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. So that's where it really started. And I joined VUSIT, the Valparaiso University Storm Intercept Team. And uh, was part of the um, Chi Epsilon Pi, the uh, fraternity for storm chasing. So I went all in just as I had, you know, prepared to do. It's just when I got there, I had a professor, John Knox, which a lot of people in meteorology know. He's a professor now uh, in Georgia. And he said to me, I really think when you do the discussions and when you talk up in front of the class, he's like, I think you should check out broadcasting. And I was like, no, no, sir. I don't think so. (laughs) And he said, please just check it out. And then this fortuitous moment of getting an internship with the one, the only James Spann. I mean, if I would have gotten an internship with anybody else, I don't know that I would have done this. But then I left that internship saying, I want to be like Helen Hunt and James Spann had a baby. And that's kind of what I became. <laughs> I love that analogy. I'm going to have to put some thought into that. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's funny. Um, I was just talking to a bunch of mail chasers for one of our podcast episodes, and one of them mentioned that to date, unfortunately, still Helen Hunt um, and her character Joe and Twister is still 
one of the only role models for women in chasing. That's so, why, yeah, and that's why I wrote my books, the Helicity Trilogy. So it's for that middle grade because I agree, there is not another one of those. There really aren't that many stories about weather, you know, and that's why I first went to write because I would have never considered myself a writer. I was pregnant with my son and I was really underwhelmed by the number of baby books that were accurate yet good about weather. And so that's what I first went because I'm like, I'm not a writer, but I can handle a baby book. And I went to the publisher at, within Disney and they were like, I like the character idea, but that's not for a baby book. Because I had told them I had this character, her name's Helicity, and this is what her story is. And I thought of her as a little girl. They said, make her a couple years older and, and write it in chapter book form. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm actually not a writer. But um, and they said, why don't you go try? And I went and tried. I gave them a couple chapters. They were like, we love it. Let's make it a trilogy. And it was like, what? So it and then it really was born into exactly what you're saying. I thought, look at this opportunity. I, I can grab a young woman who's seven or eight years old like I was. Maybe she doesn't have Lake Michigan in front of her, but I'm going to draw it for her in words. You know, and, and through a story of a young woman who's not at all loosely, but pretty concretely based on me. <laughs> Absolutely. No, that's wonderful. Um, and it, it's certainly part of what's driving Girls Who Chase, I think, as well, because we need, I mean, having those fictional role models is wonderful, but we also want to make sure that we're getting female storm chasers who are doing it day to day out there, really in more media. I mean, I think that's part of the issue, right, is that it's not that they're not there. It's that we don't see them very yeah. often. And so, you know. Well, when you saw it, you know, yeah, I mean, this is this is part of if you look at the evolution of kind of adventure television and the storm chaser programs that have been on, um, if you look at Discovery Channel, you know, I came in there and the call I got was, um, hey, we have the show Storm Chasers. I was obviously familiar with it because I love storm chasing. Um, we would love to have you come in for an episode or two. We're not sure, um, but we're kind of trying to feel out a female demo because that channel, Discovery, like a lot of those are are really male focused because that's their audience. And they weren't sure how it was going to play. They didn't know what that looked like and they didn't know how to do it. Um, and I, I wouldn't blame them whatsoever because I love all the people that worked on that show. But I think that even the setup of me coming in and, and them putting me in as almost a love interest that wasn't quite a love interest yet, you know, that plays to the why am I here? But I was like, no, 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 I've chased. I chased in college, you know, <laughs> and, and I don't right. know that that was as evident. And so it's not their fault because there aren't a lot of women that are in that position. But I think it was much easier for the audience to understand, oh, that's nice. She's just kind of come along for the ride because. You also, though, you know, they, I, I recently just saw someone had posted something and I didn't ever remember the name of the episode and it was called Backseat Driver. And I thought, well, that's also kind of a, a negative connotation to, to yeah. who I was in that situation. How about just um, co-pilot or I don't know, like anything that would be equal. And so I think, again, not think how long that was ago and how far we have come societally. So there's no blame on that. It's more of, okay, where do we go from here and how do we do that? And so my goal after I left um, Chicago and I came to ABC was to show them, because at a network level, nobody was chasing. Nobody was doing anything of the sort. They're very much damage chasing, which is how we had done things forever. And that is why Ben Sherwood, who was the president at ABC, he was fascinated by it. It was his favorite part of my reel. He loved that. And, he, and I told him, I will get you a tornado on TV 
within a year. I can do that for you. And he was like, let's do it. And, and he, you know, hired me. And it was such a beautiful moment of having someone believe in you, no matter your gender. And he didn't care who I was. He was like, you're telling me you can get a tornado and then you can cover the story just like we do. And, it, and I said, and the best part is I get to be there before then warning everybody. And he, he was, he's such a bright light in, in all of it. You know, he, he saw that without, ha without having the representation. So that was beautiful that I had that opportunity. Um, and, and then it, it happened within a year, I had a tornado and some really fun stories with a couple of producers that I still work with and they love talking about their first tornadoes they'd ever seen. And it was, and they were both women. And that was the other really oh. cool part. And it, because social media was still, I mean, it was, it was around, we were certainly tweeting and we were doing all that stuff, but it wasn't what it was today. I don't know if it got as much visibility. Um, and then, you know, what happened, we've had really some slow years. You know, so it's well, and then other other things happened in my life, having babies, doing things where the time kind of got split. And it was, I'm glad that we're doing this because as I was um, preparing to leave on Monday morning, I'm speaking with my stage manager, Eddie, and he's the best. He's so much fun. And we, we've known each other really well for eight years that I've worked on weekday GMA. And one of the audio women came in, Sherry, and she's like, and I, I said, oh, I'm taking off after the show. I'm going to go down to Mississippi and, and chase. And they were like, and she goes, aren't you scared to go into tornadoes? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm respectfully fearful of Mother Nature, but I am really conservative. And I've done this since I was in college. And she's like, you have? She doesn't know me as well. But then Eddie's like, hmm. Z, you did? When? And I'm like, yeah, before I, I worked at ABC quite a bit, uh, all the way from college. And I'm I'm realizing I'm reintroducing myself to people that I'm around every single day. So there's, there's like this branding, I guess is what I'm getting to. Of, um, and then somebody asked me recently on my Q and A's, would you ever do one of those storm chase shows? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I expect everyone to know everything you've done every single day and, and life is about reintroducing yourself and branding it. And so I think that would be something, the patience and grace that I've had to give the world in understanding that a woman can be a meteorologist, let alone a storm chaser. Um, I think I'm ready to be that person to be patient. <laughs> That's really interesting, the notion of reintroducing yourself, I <laughs> think. And it begs another question that I think you know, I've been asked a lot recently, um, including by my parents, who say things like, I mean, this is really interesting, but like, why is this a big deal? Mm. You know, like, why would anybody at the end of the day, other than, okay, yay, it's women doing something moderately, non-stereotypically female. Um, why, what is the big deal about this? Why is Girls Who Chase a thing? Why is it of yeah. interest to the media? Right. And, and I think, there are a lot of ways to answer that, but I think it's a good question to put to you um, from that perspective. The big deal is that you, there's no way to learn about our atmosphere better than to be in it. So I, I, I think to be, because I always come from the science part first, as a scientist and as a meteorologist, someone who is still putting that puzzle together, even when I was out there just seeing a weak circulation two days ago, and watching it cross hi a highway in Mississippi, it was putting off the bells and reminders of the things that I have, you know, I'm constantly on a radar, but you can't just like, I always use the medical parallel. 
you would never want a surgeon who had not worked on a cadaver or a patient training on a patient to just come in and start doing surgery on you. You will never understand a radar unless you've been there to match it to what it smells like, tastes like, feels like. And that, that hands-on science is why everyone needs to chase. And I'm going to take it a step further because I've had these wonderful opportunities at ABC to do a lot of adventure. And because I was a storm chaser and at the beginning, everyone's like, wow, you do that, right? They were like, would you ever paraglide? And I was like, sure, why not? You know, usually meteorologists are pretty interested in flight as well, but I had never really thought of flight outside of an airplane. And I went and did this. And then I did several stories on it. And I have to tell you, as, as much as I had chased to that point, I don't think I'd understand, understood the atmosphere as well as I did when I flew up in it, when I touched that, the level of, you know, free convection, when I'm right at the base of a, of, of a cloud or right up the mountain, feeling upslope, feeling a thermal. At one point I was para-hawking, flying with vultures in Nepal, and I'm watching birds ride thermals, and then we're following the birds to follow what they follow. It, it was the most connected I've ever been to that beautiful atmosphere that I've been trying to put together. I think of those experiences as much as I think of this chasing. So not only do I think every woman and man that wants to be a meteorologist should chase, I think they should also fly. <laughs> oh, note to self, out I go. <laughs> that's, that's really interesting though. So it just, it makes it more concrete. Oh my essentially. God. Yeah. You, and nobody can say it and everyone learns differently and all those things, but there's no one that's, won't learn more by being out there. So the next question I was actually going to ask you is, what do you experience while working in weather and chasing? And, and maybe this is a good time to kind of hark back to your time in Mississippi um, that keeps you coming back for more. And, and I'm really after kind of the emotion side yeah. of it. So I remember the first tornado I ever saw verify from a forecast that I had been a part of with a group and, you know, with my Valparaiso team. And even the first time I saw just a thunderstorm do what it was supposed to do from what we had forecast it doing. And it's not about being right, although that's nice and it feels good and it feels like, okay, I'm understanding something. It was about the power of nature and it was about understanding and respecting the power of nature. And so I always had this and, and still, you know, to this day, I think I have it. I'm a little numbed maybe, but um, I get emotional in the way that I imagine people watching their favorite sports teams do, because I'm not a sports person, but they see it and it's this separate thing from you. You're not part of that tornado, but you're like, wow, the, the intensity and power and, and value to our planet and our earth, all of it starts to come together until it's hitting people. I'm talking about like the first one I saw when it was out north of Lubbock and it was an EF3 and it was huge and you couldn't miss it and it was gorgeous and it was only hitting grass. <laughs> I love that. There's, I, I remember tearing and I, and, and, and I wasn't very emotional. I wouldn't let myself feel very much back then, but that was the closest I was getting to feeling. And it was like bringing up something in me. And I still get that way, even seeing that weak circulation there's excitement to, you know, um, my therapist and I always talk about what are tears for? What is a hug for? What are these things that we do that are part of being human for? They are to equalize our um, excitement levels, basically our energy levels. They take away sometimes, like when you get a hug, why does that make you cry, right? We've talked a lot about how, how that 
physiologically and mentally works. I think there's something about that in nature. I get all of my excitement going and that's the adrenaline part and the movement part. And like, wow, this is the planet Earth moving really, really, really fast. And then it happens and it's like the release and it's the balance, Hmm. you know? And um, Hmm. just like the energy's going up and down in our atmosphere, I think that's happening in us and it happens very much. I'll take it another step in therapy for you because of course people are like, oh, who does this? Who runs into the storm? Um, I've learned a lot about what stimulates people. So I am, I am a, um, stimulated by nature, by adventure. Those are things that are comfortable for me, even though they would be uncomfortable for another person. My husband, who is 180 degrees from me, is the most fearful of the same things that I love. But yet he is, he is ace at all of the things I'm bad at. And that is he's stimulated, stimulated by people and emotions. And those are the things that are pretty frightening to me. Used to be I'm working really hard on not being that way, but they're usually those two things pushing and pulling as well. So I think that, I think that that comes very easily for women or men who chase, um, who might be stimulated by things other than human or emotion or interaction. Fascinating. Yeah. It, as you were talking about tearing up, I was thinking about the first storm that made me tear up where, you know, you just kind of, there's, um, there's a connection happening that I think you can obviously also experience with other humans in the way that you described, but, um, it's a different kind of connection mm-hmm. and that's definitely a huge part of it. Wow. There is a power. There's a, there's a egoless. I do a lot of meditation. So there's a moment of taking yourself out of the equation that happens with the power of nature that way. Um, when I was in hurricane Michael and I, you know, I was in the storm surge of a cat five and I'm watching homes wash away. And there is such extreme, you know, you could be, I, 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 people don't like to hear me say this because I, and I wrote a whole uh, chapter in my book about it because I think I have a cat five risk assessment um, as far as <laughs> where my, I go. But what it meant to me was beyond the beauty and power of nature was the power and the destructiveness and the, and I felt separated and I felt very small in the best way, if that makes sense. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I can completely relate to that. <laughs> what would you say is the best life lesson weather has taught you? How to grieve. Um, so I watch people in every type of disaster. I've been in every single one from Katrina on um, the big ones, tornadoes, hurricanes, wildfires, and I've been in them globally. And I think that really started to settle in after I saw the bushfires in Australia and I had been writing my book. And so this was kind of this two, two things happening at once. And I'm listening to people talk about their loss, whether it was humans, friends, family, people that they lost because a lot of people were lost there, um, property that they'd lived in for their entire lives or they had for generations and they lost it. I'm going to tell you, people are so gracious with mother nature. And I'm always amazed by that. They're always like, well, you know, this is it. If We would never be that gracious with ourselves or with someone else. And I watch them. And after every single disaster, it doesn't matter which type it is, people react almost exactly the same and almost in the same cadence and tempo. And so I watch the shock. I watch the grief. I watch the, or the, um, the sadness, the anger, the frustration. 
And I've finally figured out why it works like this, because disaster is trauma. That's a trauma in your life. And I've realized now through all of my traumas, you can't delete trauma. You have to process them. Because this is a very visual and shared trauma, usually, all of these, um, there is the initial, you can't run away from it because your house is gone or your neighbor's house is gone and part of your house is gone. So everybody's kind of like, well, we can't forget about that. We also don't have a house, right? Or don't have a car, whatever it took. Then you go to, um, so you have to move through it. You know how many times in our traumas in our life, we just pretend it didn't happen, run away because it's physically not there. And if we don't tell other people, they're not going to know. And we think that's a good thing. That is never a good thing. We have to go through things. To, so, so people go through it fast. That's my point. They are forced to grieve. And then they're grieving together. There's a community. Like there's a really cliche line in every news story. Like the community came together to help each other. There's a reason people do that. It's because they're all there going through the same thing. And they're like, you know what? I, I found this insurance, you know, and then I'm going to help you. And then afterward, they just talk to their neighbor that they've lived next to for 15 years, but maybe never spoken to. And so there mm. becomes this actual community of grief. And it's much easier when you grieve and, and share your, your trauma. And so then at the end, I always think with all of our traumas of life, we should treat them like this. Like my tornado of life might be different than your hurricane of life, but we can grieve them together, if that makes sense. We just got to let each other know that they're there. So that's what I've learned the most out of is watching the gracious and beautiful process of grieving that people do after a disaster. I wonder if that can also be applied in a lot of other areas as well, right? Like that shared experience of just pure joy of mm -hmm. witnessing whether doing something miraculous that isn't yeah. affecting other people, for example. Yeah. And I think that's part of what creates that kind of strange community feel <laughs> we get in the chasing community on some level. Yeah. And why it's still, I mean, I don't know someone who doesn't find it interesting. I've never met someone when I say, oh, I chase tornadoes. They're like, oh, cool. You know, that's never the reaction. And so they usually have a lot of questions. It does turn people into little kids. It, it turns them into curious, interested, even if they would never do it or they would even more so if they would never do it a lot of times. They need to know everything about it. And I love that connection. I do love that connection because I can take something that I'm experienced and feel comfortable with. Um, and actually, I never thought about this. I just I had read an article last year because my, both my kids have gone through the dinosaur phase, which most kids go through. And I was, of course, dinosaurs are fascinating because they're huge and they're, we don't have them anymore. And there's all of these like mysteries about them. But why is it that every kid like loves dinosaurs? And I read this really great article about the psychology of kids and dinosaurs. And it's because they know something. They can learn these names, the brontosaurus, well, no longer, but the diplodocus, the, the names that they can impress. And almost always the reaction from an adult is how do you know that or well that's a big word or that's it and and that feels good you have pride in something that you've learned about and then this pride is like a circle it's like a feedback loop and I think that that happened to me also in chasing and I think that that's a very positive thing when you back it up with science and education and then you can go and have the experience and have the way to translate your science and education with real feel story there's nothing better than that the same thing happens in journalism. I'm not telling as good as good of a story if I'm not in the place where I'm telling the story about, uh, you know, like hearing telephone version of the story. You got to be there to feel it and smell it and taste it and then tell people what it felt and smelled and tastes like. 
And on that note, let's talk about earlier this week in Mississippi. <laughs> How did that go for you? It was good. You know, it's so balancing. Here's where things have changed. I've never, since I was in college, had an opportunity to chase without cameras and deadlines and, and um, rules. A lot of rules. And my rules are this is where we need you at this time. And there have been a couple of times in the planes um, in the past six, seven years where I've been out and I would have been on the tornado, but I have to stop and do world news because I have world news tonight. And that's my first priority, um, which it should be. But there, Mike Noble, who's our senior, one of the producers on World News Tonight, we have a joke and he's like, I get it. You want to do a tornado, but we're going to go ahead and need you to tell people about the tornadoes. And they don't want to take the chance because, you know, the service could be spotty. They're correct. But there's always this like push pull. So we had that going into this. And I was like, Noble, this time, please, please, please. Can I pre-tape and just, just, just what he's like, no, that's not how we do our program. And I'm like, ah. I thought maybe years later we could get it together. So aside from those uh, differences and how I, I have to chase, it, w- it was, I was with Dan Manzo, who's another producer and meteorologist, and he's chased quite a bit in his life too. And we both just were, it's the beginning of the season. You're kind of, it's like the first skiing of the season or the first, you know, um, running through leaves in the fall. I don't know. It's like the thing that you need to get out and do. And so we were both really happy to be out there. And then how do we use our excitement and passion for this meteorology, which is what I've always tried to do, and then add that layer of compassion and relatability and making people understand what it is. And so that's why that first morning we really focused on um, community shelters, because that is always the problem in Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, where People can't have basements, nor do many people have the ability to have like a real storm shelter. And so even in my 45 seconds I have, I was like, Dan and I were like, we got to do the reminder that this is where you survive an EF2, EF3 up, you know, and or any tornado, you know, this is and, and I like to always put the human part to it. I'm a mom of two kids. And if I was a mom of two children and I didn't have a safe place to be. I would take the two to three hours of a tornado watch and I would hang out by this shelter. I would find something for my kids and I to do because it's going to be a decent day most of the time ahead of a tornado. And then when you need to and the warning comes, you duck in there. If your house is fine, great. You go back to it. If not, you are alive. And that's it. You know, I think that's where tornadoes are easier to get people to understand. I think that type of evacuation is very short evacuation. Um, it's not like a hurricane where they're worried about, oh, there are going to be people coming through and they know that we've left and all these. There are a lot more layers of things to work through. I want that message to get out. So that's what we did. But as far as the chase part itself, um, I know we all watched that line catch up real quick. I mean, right from the morning, it was drizzling my whole live shot. I mean, that's never a good thing when you're going to want instability. Um, not that I wanted, you know what I'm saying? And I just knew. And then we had this just wet, security blanket all day. I saw we had a quick breakfast before we drove to Meridian because we just wanted to at least get a chance to have an hour or two of some some sort of sunlight. And we saw a couple of glimpses of sun and I thought, oh, it's happening. It's happening. It's there are the clouds. (laughs) And so the clouds kept everything at bay. We were on that one cell that got out ahead a little bit and we watched it rotate over I-20 and it was warned. But then the roads were really rough around there. You really can't get around very easily. Very few connecting. And you start to get into kind of 
super rural land in Mississippi once you get northeast of there. So the end, we only had an hour and a half before World News. So we were like, we have to go back to Meridian. So there we go. And so that was it. Um, and then by that time, it's dark. And even if we watch the southern end start to you know, roll up, we're not going in the dark. That's not my deal. Um, and I think I would get in huge trouble and don't want to do that anyway. So yeah, I was, you know, <laughs> listen, I was glad to do it. I was really happy to do it and it didn't matter. And here's what the other thing I told myself is there is, there is a um, rebranding, a reintroduction. It's like people that have never dated me before. They need to know this is who I am and what I do. I had, you know, less following last year on my social media pages. They've never known that I've gotten in a car and I can show them rotation and they're I think as a meteorologist and someone who's on television and someone who's hopefully warning them about something the morning of, they can say, well, she knows what she's talking about because she goes and finds those exact cells where this, you know, if they can make that connection, all the better. Um, Because I'd love for people to watch that respect build for someone who not only loves it, but loves them enough to warn them. All of those things. There's, There's a whole lot in there. Um, we could talk about forever, but I feel like I need to swap. I need to switch gears a little bit because I want to talk about the meat of why we're talking to you, um, as girls who chase. So, um, what has your experience been like as a weather broadcaster, but really more as a female weather broadcaster? Um, and how has it evolved over time, especially as you moved from local television to national? Everything has changed, you know, so I started, I started in the industry before social media. So, I mean, I think Facebook was just starting and it was, you know, the beginning of everything. So that I've been in it long enough, I think, to see a big evolution in a lot of parts. So, um, I've seen a huge evolution in women in meteorology, even in broadcasting, um, since I started, because I really, at most places that I worked was the only woman on the team. Um, and the social part of it at a local level was better. What was interesting is at a local level, people had been used to seeing women in the role of a meteorologist. And I think had even started to understand by the time I had come into television, that women could be both scientists and broadcaster, that those could be a combined thing. Um, Television, as we know, didn't do a great service to women or men um, in meteorology because it started as kind of the comic relief and the person who would just kind of read the bulletin from the National Weather Service or, you know, however, or even be a puppet or, uh, you know, there have been a lot of things that, that weather that section has been. And at the network, it really had been that for a very long time. And so... I'd say aside from usually being the only woman, except for in Wood TV and Grand Rapids, there were, uh, Terry DeBoer was there and she was awesome and she was a great mentor. Um, every other station I worked at, I was the only woman in a team of men. And that felt very much like school, felt no different than what I had come up in in school. So I don't know that I noticed it that much. I did notice my audience was often more men, part of that because I was a young woman. And I think what changed, um, <laughs> What, and I, I don't think that they were as interested in my understanding of thermodynamics, probably more in what I was wearing and what my legs looked like, right? And so I think that became very evident early. The transition has happened in part because I realized what I needed to do to make that happen. And that was introduce myself, get in their face a little more, 
be very open and very like branded. Um, but it also, I aged, I became a mom and I became something in the demographic of more broad demographic of people being open to listening and hearing me, I think. At this network level though, I'm the first woman as a chief meteorologist at one of the major networks. So nobody had ever seen that, not even the people that worked here. And I'm one of the first meteorologists ever, man or woman or anybody. And so that has been a whole hurdle that I didn't even realize, I don't think when I came in that hadn't been done yet. And I was like, oh, and I think still to this day, because ABC is a big place. If we went around, I don't know if half of the people wouldn't say weather girl. And that's the people I work with. So I think that there's still, and, and instead of getting upset, like I might have 15 years ago, now I take it as a challenge and I'm like, great, let's graciously let them know. Let's, let's, let's show them, you know, in the best way, not like show them, but, but display and, and use my platform in this place to be positive, but also educational. And that's what I've kind of taken on as, and I love that challenge. Um, I love the, and whenever somebody says it, I, I obviously say not a weather girl, but a meteorologist. And I can tell you more about it if you're interested in meteorology, right? Like I'm all, hi, I'm Ginger. And it's a reintroduction, a lot of first dates. <laughs> so let's talk about not a weather girl for a <laughs> moment, especially in a case where you're on a podcast called Girls Who Chase. Because yeah. <laughs> I think it's important to make the distinction um, but I want to I want to hear a little bit more about that because I know that's been important to you. Mm -hmm. So talk to me a little bit more about the purpose behind that. And when is there an endpoint? Right. Is there a, is there a success has been reached on that campaign? And what does that look like? Well, I think if Weather Boy had been used the whole time as well as Weather Girl, I would not have as much trouble with it. I think the double the double negativity of it being both misogynistic and ageist or whatever it is. I, you know, I think that's where I always kind of got really turned off. And I always say you would not call a female lawyer, a, a, a law girl. Why would you do that? Why would you call a female doctor, a doctor girl? That's not necessary in the term, nor has it ever been even from the beginning. And so it started as a, Hey, sweetie, you went a girl. Why don't you, you know, like, and, and I had a mother who has like three master's degrees and she is everything short of being a doctor, but she's a neonatal nurse practitioner. And I think up until 10 years ago, she was called a candy striper half the time. Like people just haven't evolved, you know, like it takes a long time for people to get through. And that's in an industry where women are the norm. And I think that so misogyny is part of it. And then it's like society in general, understanding and the, the time it takes. So. What's success? Success would be people understanding that most people that they're watching give them a weather forecast, both man and woman, are meteorologists who are also doing the work to forecast it. And then the term, I mean, I'd love to eliminate it. I don't think it's necessary. Um, I think that we could, you know, whether man or whether woman, if you want to use that and it's appropriate, I think those are equals. Those are fine. It's the girl part. And I understand with girls who chase, and, and it's not that I don't like the word girls. And truly, the older I get and someone says weather girl, I'm like, you think I'm that young still? It's awesome. <laughs> you know, like, right. take it to supplement. <laughs> Maybe that's part of why I've been more open to it. But um, I don't, I'm not, a, I'm not a, against the word girl. I'm against the inequality 
that was used with it. Well, and I think the reason I think it's important to call out the distinction, because um, obviously we're tackling the same issues that you're tackling from a different space mm-hmm. in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. And I, I, it, Girls Who Chase came about, I think, more because it was modeled after something like Girls Who Code. And ultimately, that's our audience. Yeah. And I think at least to date, what it has felt like, at least externally in terms of the response, is it's met with the level of respect that you would hope for um, for a, a scenario like this. So it's not degrading or misogynistic or, um, but it's also not intended in any way to frame it that way. And so it's something I think that is worth kind of monitoring as this progresses. Like, is it somehow undermining these other scenarios where like not a weather girl, for example, and and the only way I know to ensure that is to just keep it out in the open and keep mm-hmm. talking about it, keep making sure it's not it's not doing these things. Right. Something else that happened that I don't think, and this is this plays big to the misogyny on the chasing part. Um, as soon as I had children, people were like, "Are you never going to storm chase again?" And I was like, "What?" I I I did not understand that. That also happened. They were like, are you never going to skydive again? Are you never going to do these things again? And I've gone through a lot of therapy to figure this out. Like, what is it that is the right? Did I do those things because I didn't have children or responsibilities to others? Or did I do them because they're part of me and what I love and who I am and what, you know, and, and can I do these things as safely as I've ever done? Of course I can. Of Storm chasing for sure tougher sell on my husband to skydive because there's, you know, and, and so I think maybe your stats change a little on your risk assessment, but I don't, that that's of being a parent, not of being a mom. And that's the part that always got me is they're always just like we do to, to, as humans, we have those two dynamics that we think of. Mom is this and dad is this. We don't hold those two equally. And yet we want them to be equal. And it's, so it goes to women in workplace. It goes to all of those things. And I hope that people can understand that just because someone becomes a parent or a wife or whatever it is, that doesn't probably, it doesn't change things. I don't think it has to change things. In fact, they might have one more chase partner, their partner. They might, you know, as my kids, when my kids are old enough and they're 16, 17, 18, if they're interested, I would love to show them more about the atmosphere so that they can respect it like I do. I would love to show them why we don't go out in a flash flood, you know, why we don't drive anywhere close to water. I I'll, I can do it with video early. And then as they can experience it, sure. Even my husband, who is quite risk averse, he's even interested because he knows how much it means to me. And I would love someday to bring him and show him, you know? And so I think it doesn't mean that you just stop your life because you became a mom. Like, what? That was always the wildest thing to me when people would ask that. And, and it's why, in part, of course, I'm not out there, you know, the, the two hurricanes I've ever missed is because I was pregnant, happened to be Harvey. <laughs> you know, I was doing it on TV, but I was, yeah, I know. What a year. That's my little one. He's, he's quite a, oh. he's, yeah. And, um, but, but. Of course, I'm not out there pregnant, you know, with flying debris. That's not what I'm doing. But, and I'm not bringing my five-year-old and putting him on my car. This is, these are choices and things that I think can be done well, just like they can be in all parenting. So. Um, 
So talk to me a little bit about your passion for women in STEM, because you've been a huge advocate for women in STEM for a long time. Why do you feel so strongly about that? And what is the energy? What does it feel like for you to be a female meteorologist, scientist, and girl who chases? So just like the privilege I had of being able to spend that time on Lake Michigan, I had the privilege of growing up with a woman who was a scientist as a mom. And I never thought that that wasn't possible. She was also, to a fault, optimistic about you could do anything um, and, and would make that happen and would help you make that happen. And she was incredibly supportive and such a dreamer. And I always, I know I'm privileged to have had that. Every young woman doesn't have that. Every young man doesn't have that. And so I think being able to be someone who supports anything where they get introduced to the sciences in a positive way is that would be a huge part of what I'd love to leave as a legacy and just say, I know I'm lucky I had my mom. Now let's show other people because I don't, aside from my mom and then a couple of women within the industry, I don't know that I had that many female mentors that would have been able to, you know, I'd like, I love mentoring. When I got a chance to teach at Valparaiso as an adjunct, I still, and I love both my male and female students, um, but of course I had more ability to connect and help them navigate the same industry I just had a decade before because I know what they were feeling and I know what they were doing. And so the representation of me having already gone through it, I felt really powerful being able to do that. And in the turn, I'm always learning something from them. And so I still have several of those students that I keep in touch with. And it's not just a one-sided, I'm helping you. They are often helping me. And so I think that community part of it, it's important to have all ages in your community. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, for sure. So for an entity such as Girls Who Chase, um, which is obviously more grounded in the notion of storm chasing versus meteorology, but really it's kind of the same thing in a lot of ways um, in terms of the focus area scientifically. Where do you see the most potential value to the STEM and weather communities out of Girls Who Chase and more broadly, I think, in empowering girls and women? Yeah. And from there, where would you like to see us investing time, resources, energy? Like, where can we be most useful? Well, you know, I, I dealt with this in, in writing my books because in my books, this young woman is young. <laughs> She's at 12, 13 uh, and 14 in the books. And that is not something that we would encourage most young people to go start storm chasing at 12, 13, and 14. And so it was like, how am I going to do this without telling every 12, 13, and 14-year-old, sure, go have your older brother drive you in a car and go do this. That's not what we want. You know, so like I think just as a mother now, especially, I think making sure that the safety part of it and the education is primary and first. And so making sure that that is, and I'm sure that is everything that you're doing and more, but that would be how I would want to get kids involved, but say, hey, there's a whole slew of things you got to do before doing that. Um, our world is full of people who have gone from kind of, I, I don't know if it's called armchair chaser first, but the person who's just kind of an interested person who then goes and just gets a lot of experience. And I don't think that there are any, um, I don't think there's anything negative about that, except for, I think it would just be even better to have more education. So I think the continued um, push to do these two things in unison would be really special for you guys to do. You know, it's like, I'm not saying you can't 
have experience with others. You go with an experienced chaser and meteorologist and you are the passenger and you're learning the whole way and you have several of those reps. You know, that's like saying, um, that's like saying I could never be a Peloton instructor. Of course I could. I've done a lot of Peloton classes. I mean, I'd have to go and get my certifications. I'd have to go and get, you know, and I think that is an important part because you don't want that person hurting other people or doing things. And I think looking at it like that might be really important. And because of the volume of people, I know people get really, but of course, as I get older, the one thing I'm most fearful of and chasing is other people um, and and the, the traffic, you know. Yeah. As I've been finally introduced to anxiety, because I'm a really good depressive person, but usually not anxious. As a parent now, um, apparently I do have anxiety. And that's something I was thinking about the entire chase was more the trip that we had to go from Starkville to Atlanta. That post-storm trip to me is scarier than any of it because it's a long drive. Anything can happen on a drive. So making sure that that part is part of the education of it. And, um, you know, there's a lot of exciting things and beautiful things that we can learn and experience in the world, but there's a lot of logistics that have to go along. So that's something I would look for you all to be making emphasized for folks. I love it. Actually, we just uh, recently uh, released our website. And to my knowledge, it is the first resource that actually aggregates information around the education behind storm chasing. Cool. Um, like uh, a one, you know kind of a one-stop shop. Changing the, changing the, <laughs> there's a real opportunity here because it is so, it isn't happening that much to have as many women. There are plenty of them out there and I'm always respectful of that. But I think because there isn't as much, it's not to that number yet. You could change the culture of it. And the culture being, you know, being exhausted and driving four states overnight is cool. No, it's not. Um, this is mom talking too. Um, tornadoes are great and I love them, but sometimes it's just not worth it. You know, and I think making sure that people, and I think I don't want to put gender on it to say that women would be better at this, but I think it might be easier to sell to a group of women and remind um, because we're, there's so much more to life, you know, and that's the other part that doesn't get done very well in the chasing community, I think, is balance and understanding that there's a lot more out there. And so just making sure that's in the fabric of whatever you're growing would be really great um, because it's easy to get around the regulars and then find that excitement and get wrapped up in that and get rolling in it and then kind of lose yourself, I think and lose what matters to you. So, you know, expressing how important it is to be an individual in this as well and how it's not a competition, you know. Um, but that, that the, the safety part, all I think about when I see some people's tweets are like, where's your mom? <laughs> What's your mom saying? <laughs> or your dad or anybody? Anybody. Yeah, no, for real. That is a big one. Um, we just did a podcast episode on safety, actually, and I suspect that's going to continue. Um, and it is there are some interesting cultural differences um, around the way that men and women choose to chase, I think, that has come up several times and has also maybe contributed to the fact that we see less women in media sometimes because they aren't necessarily the ones zero metering or blowing their windshields 
or doing the things that might get you on television in short order. I mean, have you ever have you ever seen lightning statistic numbers? Just in oh, tell me. So lightning statistic numbers, I think, are a great precursor to understanding this is that I think it's I don't want to get it wrong, but I believe it's 80 percent of lightning deaths are men. And and that's after that. I'm not I'm not using five years for my average. That's like all of lightning data in this century, I believe, for the, you know, since the um, 60s or something. So year after year, we see choices made male versus female. And that is there's a true difference in what they're willing to do outside. A lot of it is because of outdoor work. So I have to, you know, mm-hmm. that's also a gender thing, construction, um, golf. Think about any of the stuff. And that's a, a lot of the things come from that, but it's also choices. And so I, I did a story on this once for 2020, I think. And um, it was a woman who was struck, but she was in her home. It was just very odd, does not happen often. It came through the ceiling fan and onto her cat, like something that very, very rare. And then we went into the numbers and I remember like following them ever since. And I think that you could say that in chasing, there's probably a bit more conservative approach just because of what women do and how we look at the world. I don't know. And you're right. And then that doesn't get attention. It's not very sexy. It's not. I sat on my couch and got hit. My lightning is not the same. (laughs) Yeah. Not, not even a little. No. From, from a adding value perspective, is there a space where girls who chase could dovetail into, for example, the American Meteorological Association's, um, you know, women in science, women in weather? Mm-hmm. Where where is that space for us to occupy? Yeah, yes, I think that educators and um, academics can always benefit from real life experience and chasers. I think that's the best hybrid ever is the shared understanding and and education. So you both get something from it. So I think that's a very smart uh, connection or would be. Well. I, this was a wonderful conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time um, and for all of the creative answers. It was wonderful to hear your perspective on chasing and and look forward to staying in touch with you, hopefully, as things progress here with Girls Who Chase. Of course. Good luck. A big thank you to our media tier level Patreon sponsors whose recent arrival and support is ensuring the continuation and growth of the Girls Who Chase podcast. They are Nasli Zainab, Angela Kramer, Jen Lowry, Jennifer Grand, and Betsy. Today's episode was recorded and edited by me, Jen Walton. Our music is by Storm Chaser Lori Bailey in collaboration with artist Ines Lobo. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. You can follow us at Girls Who Chase on Instagram and Twitter to hear about our upcoming events and see storm photos and videos from our badass contributors. You can support this initiative by donating or by becoming a Patreon member where you'll get exclusive access to storm chasing content, forecasting information, and merchandise. You can find links to all of these at girlswhochase.com and in the show notes. Signing off for now, we'll see you under a mezzo.